Hello, hello, and welcome back to Let's Talk Parks. Thanks for joining us today on another episode. Today's episode is inspired by the fact that we often spend more time with our coworkers than we do our own families. Like in a 40-hour work week, we spend 8 to 10 hours of the day, and hopefully no more than that, with our coworkers, with the public, with this, with our staff and volunteers, and then we come home and only have a couple of hours to be with our families. That is why it is so important that our workplaces are positive places to be. Now we can influence our own workplace culture, even if you don't have the status or title that you think that you need. It involves our willingness to show up each and every day and try to be that positive light in your organization. But sometimes the environment around you dictates the way that we interact with our coworkers and the way that we show up. And so I think it, it's really important to ask yourself, you know, when you're in a meeting, do you feel comfortable sharing your ideas? Do you feel like you can raise your hand and, and give your feedback? Do you feel like you can manage up? Or do you feel like you have to tiptoe around your opinion to avoid confrontation? Do you feel like if you say the wrong thing, somebody else is gonna go behind your back? Do you feel like there's a culture of rumors and this feeling that if you just make the one wrong move, you're out? That is my definition of a toxic workplace. And so finding the right culture for you is so, so important. In this episode, Marissa Moravic and Jason Elisade sit down to talk about the importance of workplace culture and how to differentiate between these two different types of agencies and organizations, which is compliance-based and commitment-based. So we dive into that and a lot more about what you can do, regardless of your level or title, to make a difference in your organization and ultimately in your community. So if you're new here, welcome. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're a longtime listener, then welcome back. Let's Talk Parks is a podcast where we share the stories of purpose-driven parks and recreation professionals who are committed to challenging organizational norms and raising the bar in the field. We are an evolving resource to not only educate, but also inspire up-and-coming park and recreation professionals to raise the bar in their agencies so that they can make a positive difference in their communities. We also have a pretty cool newsletter that gets sent out every Thursday. We focus on three key things. One, career development, like what we're talking about today. Two, digital transformation. Um, We're gonna be coming out with an online onboarding course soon if you're interested in learning about how to create a hub around your onboarding resources. And then we also do a section about, you know, stories we're sharing. And we are starting to get many of you submitting your own stories and that you'd like to have featured, which is really exciting. So if you want that in your inbox every Thursday morning, you can head over to letstalkparks.com and uh, encourage you to check it out. 
All right. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Let's get into the show. Hey, Let's Talk Parks. It is Marissa Moravic, and I am joined again by Jason Elisaldi. Um, we had so much fun during our episode back in season two that I decided to have him come back. And he and I have had a couple conversations about culture fit. So I wanted to talk to him further about culture fit and kind of what it means to both of us, because I think we both have different experiences with it. But Jason, I thought I had done a ton of research on culture fit, and I learned that I know nothing compared to Jason. So um, I am going to go ahead, and he and I are going to go back and forth today about it. So Jason, do you just want to introduce yourself again, Um, even though our listeners should kind of know you from season two, just kind of, you know, let us know who you are again? Yeah, sure. So uh, Jason Alsaldi. Hi. Um, Great to be back. Um, So uh, I've got a kind of eclectic background in both uh, private and public sector and, um, you know, really passionate about what we do in parks and recreation and the the industry as a whole. And a few years back, just kind of um, went down this rabbit hole of of organizational culture, workplace culture, whatever you want to call it, and um, kind of took over took over my life for a period of time. And um, so I've had the opportunity to uh, speak on a national level about it to to um, some organizations individually. But um, yeah, the the importance of, of fit and defining, I'm sure we'll get into all of that fun stuff. But um, yeah, really, really excited to talk about it here today. Yeah, so to give everyone a little bit of background about why culture fit became important to me, like Jason just said, it kind of took over his like life for a little bit. So I would say mine started back when I worked for the Vernon Hills Park District about two or three years ago. I had a new supervisor and he came in and wanted us to kind of do some team building activities and one of them was reading books like a book together. So the first book that we read was Culture Fit or the Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Um, And so we each week would read like one or two chapters and meet as a team about it. And that was the first time I was really introduced to workplace culture and, you know, everyone had kind of thrown it around for a while. It was kind of a thing, but no one really knew what it was. So it was really eye opening to read that book. So then fast forward to now, um, I started at Mundelein about a year ago. And so there was a park district in between there and I didn't really fit in very well at that park district. And while I was there, I realized it was because culturally I didn't fit in. Um, And Jason will explain a little bit more later about why I didn't fit in there. Maybe we'll kind of dive into it a little bit. But um, so it just, it really became apparent to me that I am someone who, you know, basically has to fit in culturally at an agency to be successful. So, and reading the culture code, I've read it twice now, and I'll probably read it again now that, you know, I've kind of revisited this topic again. Um, But it was really eye-opening and really enlightened me as to my work style and what I value in my organization. So for me, workplace culture has become very important. I realized that it's, whether it really sets me up for success. If I really mesh with that, you know, culture and that team, then I'm very successful. I'm much more creative. Um, I can do much more to contribute. And when I'm at a, in a workplace culture that I don't jive with, 
I'm not productive. I don't, my best ideas don't come forward and I'm not a very good um, leader. So, um, so Jason, um, do you want to explain to us what workplace culture is and why it's so important? Oh man, um, how long we got? No. Uh, <laughs> so um, workplace culture, there's, 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 it's basically everything that comes into your workplace. And there's a, uh, I found a really great quote. So the guy who actually defined the term workplace culture, his name was Edgar Sheen. Um, he was an author and an MIT professor. And back in the early 1980s, he kind of started doing the study around this concept of kind of like, what is it that you know, like you were saying, um, we work in these places and we might not be happy and we don't really know why and we can't put a, we can't put a name on it, can't put a finger on it. And he kind of started studying into that. So his definition of workplace culture, uh, he said it was a, a pattern of shared basic assumptions invented, discovered, or developed by a given group as it learns to cope with problems out of external adaptation, internal integration that have worked well enough to be considered valid, valid and therefore to be taught to new members as the correct way to perceive, think, and feel in relation to those problems. Holy now, <laughs> that is an MIT answer. Um, very smart guy answer from a very smart guy. Um, obviously, it's, it's really, but it just kind of gives you an idea of how much gets encapsulated into this. It's and a more simple, you know, for, as I like to call it, workplace culture for dummies, which is more, more my speed. It's really just kind of the sum of our values, our traditions, our beliefs, interactions, our attitudes, our behaviors, but like really important to know it's, I mean, culture is this living, breathing thing and it can be good or bad. And it does definitely exist in every single organization. Now, the best definition of culture that I've heard actually comes from Disney and they actually just simply describe it as the way we do things around here, what goes and what doesn't. So. Um, there's your scholastic answer and there's your little more simple answer, but, um, it's important because it's who we are. It's, it's, it's who, it's who our organization is and how we exist. And, um, we, we very rarely, like you said, it gets talked about a lot. It's this great buzzword. We talk about culture, but, but the idea of defining it isn't necessarily something that, that we put as much uh, time into Definitely. Um, and to kind of piggyback off that, I was just quickly browsing, skimming through um, the culture code again this morning. And kind of like Jason was just saying, like the Spurs, they're one of the examples in the book about how basically when they're scouting players, they're not looking for the people with the best skills. They literally have a checkbox that says, not a spur. So if they don't meet like certain personality criteria, then the people scouting for the Spurs don't even consider that person because they know that it's going to come down to how well do they jive as a team. And it's the same. I read the book Legacy and it's about the New Zealand All Blacks and, you know, how they really just jive as a team. And that's how they're successful. When they're not jiving, they're not successful. So it really does all tie back together. And I feel like it's so important you know, you look at different organizations and ones that are very successful have a good workplace culture and they jive. I even think about different park districts that I've worked for and why we've been so successful and had really good um, reserves and things like that to get us through things like this uh, pandemic. And then there's park districts who are not doing as well um, and they don't have great reserves. So, and if you kind of look at it, it 
kind of comes back to the culture and it can come down to whether or not an organization thrives or doesn't survive during a huge test like this, a pandemic. So um, to me, that's why it's so important. Um, and Jason, how is workplace culture influenced? Um, well, like we said, I mean, it's, it's, it's this, if you think about it as this kind of like this huge bowl of soup that we're that we're cooking here and everything is just like an ingredient that's getting thrown into it so um how how we act um what we say uh our values our mission or vision our values are obviously big big components into it um really the big thing in it and we'll probably talk about this as we as we go on is the the leadership has such a enormous impact on on workplace culture and um all us as leaders have to be really mindful of that and we can we can get into that in a little bit more detail as we as we go along but um it for me i think the 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 culture this idea of our organizational culture to, i kind of simplified to, is who are we and what do we stand for and so the influencing factors in that are going to come from whatever it is that we've defined out to say that this is this is who we are this is what's important to us then do our actions match those words that we have that we have set out but all of us um we we all have the opportunity to influence influence our culture based on the on the decisions that we make every day and um it's just it's an, it's important to be mindful of it but when we talk about culture and people just kind of have this where I, I really dig down into this is when people are like, oh yeah, no, we have a great culture. Awesome, define, what is your, what's your culture? Define your culture. And um, more often than not, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a struggle. So um, we, have, we get the, the concept of it, but when it actually gets down to brass tacks and we have to define our culture or what we're looking for in a culture, um, we have, don't necessarily spend the time to intentionally define those things out. Can you kind of go into, you and I were talking the other day about the Russian nesting dolls, because I feel like, like you just said, a lot of it does with your leadership. So I feel like, okay, me as a recreation supervisor, I have very little influence over my workplace culture, but you made me realize that I do have a lot of influence over it. So do you want to explain the whole Russian nesting doll yeah. Everyone. Um, sure. You've you've got you've got lots of influence over it. So um, I, I look at organizational culture um, as as a rushing nesting doll, which are those you know little dolls that fit inside of each other, inside of each other. And you, um, and I even in our industry, because I do think parks and recreation is a I I like to think we have a very kind of purpose based um, ideal as to what it is that we should be doing. So I would even go with that as that could be like the, the, the outside, the biggest nesting doll. Now within an organization, you're, you have cultures that, with that, that exist within the culture. So you kind of have this overall culture of an organization, but you can have these smaller cultures that exist within it. So sometimes we might find ourselves in a situation where we're in an organization where we don't necessarily, um, we might not love the overall culture that we're that we're working in, but we do have the opportunity to ask ourselves, what part of this can I influence? What is the what is the part of that I'm currently working in that I can actually make a difference in? And what I think you find, and you there's loads of examples of this, but this this is a very 
it catches on. So if you have like your recreation supervisor, you have your department or your group of people that you oversee, you create the culture that you want in your, the little sphere or circle of influence that you have, um, results get better, morale improves, people are happier to be at work and all of a sudden it becomes a And these have these, it has this opportunity to kind of grow and turn into this bigger thing. But um, yeah, the nesting dolls, it's, it, it, there's, it's it's kind of naive to look at a, a culture from a especially in these like bigger public organ or uh, private organizations and be like oh the culture of I don't know Target I mean that's going to vary store by store it's probably even going to vary uh, department by department but they have this idea overall of an organization as to what they want to be and they have defined out who they are and what they stand for. And then it becomes the purpose of the leaders within those organizations to try to make that culture reality as best they can. Now, if you have a leader who comes in who does not buy into that those vision and those mission, vision, and values, and that's when you start having the disconnect that starts create that starts existing within the organization, and um, that's very bad. So, um, but we all have the ability to influence, and sometimes we do have to ask ourselves the question: Okay, I don't might not necessarily agree with everything that's happening at the thirty thousand foot view. What can I control? What can I do to make a part of the culture that I'm existing in better? Yeah, because if you think about it, like um, I'm over here at my senior center, and I'm kind of a silo, and which is kind of different from the rest of the district. I mean, we have a golf course, we do have like a beach and some other little satellite facilities, but really, I mean, a lot of my day to day is not influenced by our administrative team. Yes, I might have, you know, interactions with them on a daily basis, but for the most part, what I'm influencing and what I have control of is over here at the senior center. So if I choose to come to work each day with a great attitude to have certain goals for my team, to address my, you know, participants a certain way. Um, to me, that's, I kind of, I'm probably going to shoot myself in the foot saying this, but I kind of like being my own little silo right now because I can have a lot of influence over my own happiness. So I'm not influenced by too many of my coworkers and if they're having a bad day and things like that, although I would love to be there to influence them so that if they are having a bad day, I could cheer them up. I could change things around for them um, and help contribute to the workplace culture. But um, I think right now I'm enjoying my little silo and kind of being by myself, especially during a pandemic. So. Well, even at the real simplest, at the simplest part, my a friend of mine and I have this conversation. We talk about the culture of one. So we all have the opportunity. Worst case scenario, and you you don't have as much influence as you want. You can always influence that one person that you are interacting with. So in Parks and Rec, where we do have this um, amazing opportunity to interact with our public every day, that's every day we have an opportunity to influence culture. How it is that we interact with these people that we serve, how it is that we take on that obligation of service, um, all of that is going to be part of what defines our what defines our culture. So, um, yeah, you can. It's easy to kind of look at it and be like, oh, I'm just a recreation supervisor, or you know, I'm just not even that. I'm you know somewhere lower. But at the very least, you have the ability to impact your one-on-one, -on -one, um, your your one-on-one -on -one interactions, and that plays a very large role in in the culture that gets done. So I think that kind of leads into something that again you and I were talking about another time was the commitment based. Uh, 
um, organizations versus compliance-based organizations. So, and you kind of helped me diagnose why I wasn't successful at two of the park districts that I wasn't successful at because they, they were more compliance-based and they hired me based on the fact that I had the experience and the skills to do that job, but they didn't hire me based on how well I was going to mesh with that team. So do you want to explain compliance-based versus commitment-based? Yeah, and I think this is a really important one. Um, it seems to rear its ugly head up here in Parks and Rec quite a bit. I try to keep it as brief as I can. So um, it, I think one of the, the basic definitions in culture is I think an organization is either going to find itself being more compliance-based or more commitment-based. And basically what I mean by that, commitment-based organization is going to be very much geared towards purpose. It's going to be an organization, so it's probably, you're going to have a lot of empowerment. Um, you're going to have a lot of, you're going to have a lot of conversations about mission, vision, and values. Um, probably a lot more vague direction. Hey, we're trying to create this impact without as much of this is exactly how it is that I want you to do these things. So that's a commitment focus. A compliance focus is this is what I want you to do, how I want you to do it, and when I want it done by. Now, sometimes and I, I do feel, I think us as parks and recreation professionals, I think most of us kind of are gonna be more on the side of commitment. Um, I, I, I feel like I am definitely much more um, commitment-based. Uh, the people that I talk to, I feel are more commitment-based. So I think we just naturally are more prone to working in an industry such as this, where you know we want to make kids smile and 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 have this positive impact in our communities. What I have seen happen is commitment-based individuals in our you know the the industry of parks and recreation who somehow some way end up in an organization that is more compliance-based. Now. Um, and what I've also found is it seems like a lot of people in upper leadership positions, um, they might be compliance-based leaders, but since they're in parks and recreation, they feel the need to kind of present themselves as a commitment-based leader, which is honestly the worst thing you can possibly do. You can be a good compliance-based leader. Um, you could be a good compliance-based organization. I'm not even saying one's better than the other at this point, but what's important is to be able to define it is where things definitely fall off the rails, is if I am a compliance-based leader hiring commitment-based individuals, I am setting them up to fail. I am not bringing them into a workplace in which they are going to be able to thrive, and vice versa. If I am a commitment-based leader, and I'm bringing in a lot of people who are like, well, no, I actually need you to tell me how to do this. I need more direction from you, then, you know, the staff's going to feel like I'm ignoring them or I don't care or I'm not doing these things. So it's in that that definition is really, really important. Um, and, you know, again, I think sometimes we have this tendency to go one's better than the other. And we definitely have our personal preferences. But it's to me, it's more important to just like really identify which side of that spectrum you you fall on and then be very kind of intentional with the decisions you make after that fact to make sure that you're having those like-minded, like-valued individuals um, working in that, in that space. And I think it takes time to recognize which one you are. So, and it, you evolve and you develop 
um, over time, like when I first graduated from college, I will say I was more compliance-based because I was fresh, new to the field, didn't know what I was doing. So yes, I wanted a supervisor who was going to kind of hold my hand and show me the ropes and mentor me. Whereas then when I was at the Park Ridge Park District, I was recruited to go work for another park district to work for their senior center. And it didn't work out so well. Well, it didn't work out so well because my supervisor wanted to hold my hand constantly. And I had been working with seniors for five years and felt like I knew what I knew. And I, you hired me because I'm supposed to be the expert in this area. So let me do my thing. So needless to say, I didn't last very long at that district, maybe nine months. And then, you know, kind of rewinding back to the past, you know, year or two of my career, um, I went to a district that hired me and interviewed me very much based on the fact that I had aquatic experience and experience running a fitness center. Well, um, that would have been fine and dandy, but it just, again, like you just mentioned, they were very much more compliance-based and I'm much more a commitment-based person, especially once I have the experience. I want you to let me go and do my thing. I don't want someone holding my hand. I don't want someone telling me step-by-step step what to do. I don't want someone holding work back from me. Um, you know, I'm going to hold on to this until I feel like you're ready for it. No, I'm kind of someone who has to just jump out of the tree and figure out if I'm going to fly or not. So, and so I don't do well at organizations like that. And I think that's why I do so well at Mundelein is because people do give me the experience or the chance to spread my wings and do my thing. Uh, and that, that, that to me is, is always going to be the, the most um, important aspect of it. And it, it's all that it's all in the uh, it's all in the definition. Um, it's funny. You mentioned the, the fly part, cause there's this, um, the analogy I use, because empowerment is kind of one of those tricky things, and I think it's one of the the main cogs in this idea of commitment versus compliance. Because you'll have you'll get this like, well, you know, I try to empower them, but then no one no one will make will make a decision. And um, I use the analogy with empowerment. So, Jason, how would how how would I have known in the interview process? I mean, it didn't feel good. The interview did not feel good. But how? What are some key signs that I'm going to run into a conflict of their commitment-based or their um, compliance-based and I'm the opposite? Well, a, a huge red flag in that process to me is simply the fact that if people are hiring based solely off of experience, um, education, um, you know, anytime that you're filling out an application and, you know, there's not like those supplemental questions that are asking you to kind of go into more detail about something or um, those are flags that you're looking at a compliance-based organization. Compliance-based organizations are usually going to have very black and white hiring processes. They're, um, they're not even thinking about the idea of a cultural fit because to them, they just want to hire the quote unquote most qualified and their qualifications are going to be based off of who's the most experienced, who has the best education or the highest level of education, whatever those factors happen to be. Whereas your more um, commitment-based organizations, you're probably going to be like, they're going to require a cover letter. Um, they're going to have some, some semblance of additional supplemental questions as part of the application process. They're actually going to try to get an idea as to your perspective on certain things. So 
there's a couple things in there, type of questions that get asked in interviews are, are a big part. If you're, everything is just based on, you know, tell me about your experience and there's nothing in there that's kind of trying to understand like you're feeling. Um, I'll talk, I talk about Zappos a lot when, we, when, I, when I talk about culture, um, fascinating organization. And one of their interview questions that they ask for everybody is on a scale from one to 10, how weird are you? Um, that is a 100% culture-based question because, you know, and there's no right or wrong answer. They just want to see how you react to it and what your answer is. But um, yeah, those types of things. If it's a really rigid process and it's like the worst applicant, like if you're, if you're filling out a, an application and it's like attach your resume and fill out your employment history and that is the application process, uh, 99 times out of 100, that's going to be a very commitment-based, uh, I'm sorry, a compliance-based organization. Yeah. Just like you said, I mean, I remember the interviews for the two organizations that were not a good fit. And yes, the interview process didn't feel right. And during the interview process, at least for the first one that I went to that wasn't a good fit, I had a first round interview with like my immediate team who was going to be my immediate team. Then I had to take a test. Um, and then I had to come up with, I think, a budget. So, and that's very common in our field. I feel like people want to know if you know how to create a budget, but really I feel like budgeting is something that you can learn. Fitting in with a different workplace culture is really stinking hard to learn how to do. Like I, I, there, I don't think I could, I don't think I could learn how to just blend in with everyone else. Like at those two park districts, yes, I found people that I really connected with and clicked with, but there's no way that I could go around representing myself as someone from that park district because my values just didn't match up with theirs. And yeah, like I said, and you said, you just feel it, you know, in the job posting, like you've said before that you won't apply to certain job postings because you just know right off the bat, you know, it doesn't feel right. Well, I had a I had a really interesting conversation with a, a, a guy who I respect mightily um, early on where I'd had him take a look at my resume and um, get some feedback on it. And the first line in my resume is to find employment with a commitment based organization. And he came back and said, he's like, do you like what if it's not commitment based? Would you not take the job? I was like, yeah, 100, 100 percent. And there was there was a difference of opinion between. He and I, because he thought I was narrowing my, my, I was narrowing my options out by writing that line in there. But that's important to me at this point. Um, I know that I, at this point in my life, I've definitely worked in compliance-based environments before, and they just don't work for me. Um, I understand that they work for other people, and and that's great. Um, it, they just don't work for me, and I'm I'm not going to be happy in in that type of. Um, in, in, in that type of organizational structure. So, um, yeah, uh, it, 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 it's, again, it's not about being right or wrong. It's just simply about being able to define what is who you actually are and where you're going to be able to thrive. So just an example. So like when I worked for one of these previous districts, that was not a good culture workplace culture fit. I literally had migraines on a weekly basis. I was telling you a couple, I think it was last week when we talked that there was one point when I went to immediate care because I thought I had an ear infection and the doctor there told me, no, your jaw is so inflamed from stress that it is pushing up against your eardrum and it feels like an ear infection. So 
we have places that literally make you ill because they're so just not, and it's, it's not saying that they're a toxic work environment. It's just saying that it's not a good fit and you're trying so hard to be someone that you're not to survive being there that you're literally making yourself sick. So there are times that you have to get out of a place like that. I was really lucky that in both situations where I found myself in a workplace that was not a good fit, that I was able to quickly find a way out. I was able to, you know, go to the Vernon Hills Park District and, you know, my excuse was that it was 10, you know, only 10 minutes from home now. I was able to land myself here at the Mundelein Park District. So what do you do if you find yourself in a bad workplace culture and you need to get out and say your options aren't there within another Parks and Rec organization? Say you have to go work for Target or Starbucks or something, then what do you do? And, and that's and that's tough. Um, and, and not everybody is in a situation in which they're able to be so kind of picky um, about their situation. But like I said, we talked a little bit earlier about this idea of a culture of one. The one thing we can do any place that we go is make sure that our values are being expressed in our one-on-one -on -one interactions, whether it's with our other coworkers or with the public or anybody that we interact with. Now, in terms of organizations, if it's like, if you just need a job, and I know we're all in a situation right now, there's probably some of us out there who are probably just like, I need a job, I need to be able to pay bills, and this isn't going to be where I end up for the rest of my life. This is, this is a temporary fix. My challenge to you is, what are you getting out of that job that's going to make you better in the future? We can learn something from everywhere. And this is more kind of personal development than necessarily culture at this point, but every every place that we go and we end up and we work, we have this opportunity to get better and we can learn something from everywhere. So if let's say you're kind of an introverted individual and you have to get a job and you know, you have to go work in retail, great. Here's an opportunity for you to get better at just talking to people casually in stores or whatever, greeting people, um, like working on your conversational skills. There's always something that's going to be able to come forward that we're going to be able to work on to try and improve ourselves going forward. Um, but we, regardless of the situation where we end up, it's, it's really comes down to that, that idea as to what in my circle of influence, no matter how big or small that happens to be, what can I impact? What, what, what is in this that I can control and make better? Um, and really try focusing on that part of it and where we get into trouble is when we start worrying about all of the things that are outside of our control. And that's when our jaws get clenched and we get migraines and we can't, uh, we stop being able to function. But if we're able to just kind of take a, take a look at these things from the perspective of what can I do? What about this can I make better? Um, generally, we're, we have more, we're gonna have more control of that situation and it's gonna give us the ability to, uh, to kind of focus on action. Um, what, you know, what can I make happen as opposed to what's happening to me? Yeah. Um, the last topic I kind of want to talk to you about, um, is safety and feeling safe. Um, and I think that that ties a lot into workplace culture and just a lot stems from safety, like being able to be vulnerable and being able to go to your supervisor and candidly say, this is bothering me. And maybe sometimes you don't feel safe and you do still need to go to your supervisor or HR and talk about some things that are very uncomfortable, but do you want to talk about safety a little bit? Because you kind of coached me the other day a little bit on 
um, some staff meetings and how we can start becoming a group that feels safe. So I think um, the safety is a is a is a component of trust within within the workplace. And when we talk about safety, I think in a lot of cases, also great sign of a of a compliance based organization. Compliance based organizations, when they talk about safety, are talking about physical safety and physical safety only. They're going to be talking about your protocols, your lockout tagout, or or you know those types of things. Um, your commitment-based organizations, they talk about safety. They're going to be talking about, you know, physical safety is obviously a component, but you also have your emotional safety. Um, you have your intellectual safety. You have your mental safety. Like, so all of these things are, are things that need to be, um, that need to be taken into account. Um, so in terms of building this, this idea of trust and creating these safe work environments, and again, defining who it is that we want to be, um, we, we, as leaders, we should be challenging ourselves to create space in which um, our employees and staff feel comfortable coming to us with whatever. And you can look up organizations like, uh, you know, Pixar and Google are two really good examples of these organizations that have created these kind of workspaces in which it's just like this, these incredibly free flowing um, conversations are taking place and everybody has the ability to disagree. Um, without it being this kind of an emotional breakdown. I talk about like my workplace utopias and for me one of them is just this idea that you can have this meeting and people can just kind of openly talk about how they feel about a situation without worrying about hurting each other's feelings. That comes from, I mean, a combination of things. A, you have to find people and com comfortable working in that work environment, but you also have to create the space and people understand that, um, that this is how this is gonna, that, you know, I'm gonna disagree with you, but it's not that I think you're stupid or I don't like you or we're not friends, it just simply means that I have a different opinion. And kind of coming to this from the from the mindset of like, you know, the goal here is to get better regardless of where better comes from. And the leaders in those situations are the ones who have the most impact on that because we're the ones creating the space that's necessary and, you know, identifying, and rewarding the behaviors that we're looking for and then dealing with the behaviors that we're not. And, you know, respectful is a, being respectful is an obviously a really important part of this. But I think in a lot of cases, I know I've been there where I've been in a meeting or a room of some kind and I'll hear someone say something, I'll have a different point of view. And it almost takes me longer to get to the point of what it is that I'm trying to say because I have to layer it between 18 or 19 different, well, you know, like, like just, just something to think about, or <laughs> by the time we finally get to the point, it's so watered down that we're not even necessarily dealing with the issue anymore. It's so much more about, we have to be concerned with, with feelings. And that is, we have not created the safe space for us to be able to have those conversations. So um, if, if nothing else, one thing that we can all try to do a little bit better job of that's definitely going to impact um, our cultures in a positive way is just trying to get to a place where we are able to have open conversations with each other um, from a place, understand that we're all trying to get to the same thing. We're all trying to positively impact our communities. We're all trying to, to, to make this world a better place. And um, in most cases, the best idea is going to be a combination of people who probably have two different uh, two differing views on where it is that we're trying to go. Yeah. So, like when you and I talked, we were just going back and forth about a recent meeting that I had been a part of, um, and with that group, 
the leader of the group had asked, okay, let's talk about what everyone's frustrated about and no one said anything. But then, yes, I could go to that individual and tell him everything that's bothering me. So you suggested opening up meetings and it's going to take a long time, not just one meeting of, I don't remember what the example you used was like, what's your biggest fear? Um, something like that to make you really vulnerable. And you want to explain yeah. that a little bit? Sure. So you've got safety and you've got vulnerability of everybody. Everybody should go out and read culture code. Um, so culture yeah. code kind of breaks, uh, breaks down the, breaks down the idea of culture into these three parts. So you're building safety, you're, um, you're generating vulnerability, and then you're building purpose. And safety and vulnerability, the combination of those is kind of how you build trust. So safety is creating this safe space where people are free to share. Vulnerability is where I, as an individual, feel comfortable expressing when I don't know something, um, when I don't have the answer, when I've made a mistake. Um, really big from the leadership component. And this, that one of almost everything comes the most from the leader. If you have a culture in which your leadership could frankly come out and be like, I don't know, I don't have the answer to this. Does anybody have any suggestions? Now where the leaders aren't feeling like they have to be the one solving everything. And if it's not their idea, then it's not a good idea. Um, you know, the, I, I, the most powerful, um, the most powerful phrase that a leader can use, what do you think we should do? Um, like those, those types of things. So you create you, that vulnerability only comes from creating a safe space. So one of the tricks that, that I've used in the past is this idea of, um, getting everybody to share. Um, I used to, that, um, used to, my, when I worked at Willamalane, I called them Ted W talks for Ted Willamalane copyright probably is a problem, but anyway, um, but I would make, them get, make everybody get up, all the leaders, and for a minute, they would have to talk about um, their biggest fear. What is the thing that you're most afraid of? And what it did is it gave everybody an opportunity. This was obviously pre-pandemic um, when we were able to be in rooms together. But you would have what would ha end up happening, someone would get up and like, my biggest fear is, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of failure. And all of a sudden, there's three other people in the room who are like, oh, well, that's that's my biggest fear. And now we've created a connection point between these people who maybe previously hadn't really had the opportunity to connect or have conversations. And that started kind of side conversations between people, but it gave everybody a better idea as to, because to me, I think that that proponent, understanding what it is that someone is afraid of is a really big part of understanding who they are. And when you kind of, kind of would find yourself, you'd be like, oh, you know, Susie, uh, make up a name. Um, it's like, oh, you know, Susie did is is really a is really got a big fear of, of of being abandoned. So I can see why she reacted to this thing in the way that she did because it's in line with that. So it kind of gave us a bigger bigger understanding. And there's more things. There's a lot more ways that you can go about it. But that vulnerability piece, and it's it. There really is like a structure to this. It's like you need to be able to create a safe space so that people can feel and show vulnerability. And then kind of once you have those two things figured out, then you can kind of start going to the fun stuff, which is the idea of getting everybody to buy into shared purpose and, and the impact and all those things that we need to be able to do. But what ends up happening is you do, if you don't have that trust built, if you, if you haven't created the safe space, if you haven't been able to generate a culture of vulnerability, 
then all of a sudden you come out and you're like, hey, we're gonna, we're, we're doing this purpose, this culture of purpose. Staff are like, well, why? Like, I don't understand, because they don't trust you. We haven't done the leg work to be able to get them to trust that what we're trying to do is actually for the benefit. So there's a lot of pieces to it. There's, this is a, a, an incredibly broad spectrum of, of things to talk about, but all of those things are, are tied in together, kind of create the, the culture of the places we work. Well, so to kind of give an example to build off that, the example that I had already given, that during that meeting, the leader of the meeting had said, okay, what's driving everyone nuts right now? What's bothering everyone? Let's just vent. Let's get it out. Like I said, I'm comfortable going to him on a personal level because he is a leader who is so vulnerable. He is constantly telling us when he's made a mistake. He will be the first to own up to it. He's constantly asking us for buy-in and input. You know, what do you guys think that we should do with this ice rink that we've just built? Um, you know, hey, we can't run certain programs right now. Anyone throw your ideas out there because likely there's a good one out there and we've got supervisors who are just burnt out right now and they're tired of trying to figure out how to reinvent their programs. So anyone throw an idea out there. But I think where we fall short as a team right now is trusting each other. It's everyone trusts him and we would be fine going to him privately and telling him what we're frustrated about. But does he really want to spend there's like 15 of us. Does he really want to spend 15 hours sitting down with each of us individually talking about, you know, what we're upset about? No, he kind of wanted us to get together as a group and be vulnerable, but we're not there yet as a team. So I feel like we do need to do one of those team building activities. Maybe not, you know, so much the fun stuff, but let's get real with each other. Let's go around the room and say, what is everyone most scared of? What is each person's biggest failure um, so that we can all start to trust each other. And I think that's our missing piece as a team right now is that we don't trust each other. And that's, that's a good, that's a good point. And I, and I, I it's definitely a mistake that I've made is, is you want to jump into the fun stuff immediately and, um, it won't, it won't stick. You know, it, it, it is, um, that legwork, the building, the safety, the, the showing vulnerability, the creating the trust is, is hard um, and it's difficult, but once you have that, you can literally do anything. Once you've developed trust within within an organ within an organization, all the way through, it's like it sounds like you have a there's a there's a really strong culture between trust between employees and the and the supervisor, but the, there's the, the peer trust that something that needs to be worked in. But you know, employees need to trust management, and management needs to trust employees, and um, if they don't, I mean, you're really, if everything that you're going to try to do is, is going to be met with, with resistance and, you know, you start hearing all those wonderful words like morale and um, disengagement and all of those types of things are usually almost always going to be attributed to some level of trust break somewhere along the line. So um, you got to do that legwork. You got the, the, the building of the trust is, is, is such an incredibly, um, important part. And, um, it, it, it's work. It's, it doesn't, it's not something that's just there. And we, we've got to be willing to put in the, the, the work into it to be able to get the results out of it. I could not agree more. So we could obviously go on and on and on about this, but 
this is basically just a culture fit 101. So we'll kind of wrap it up here. Jason, what are three things that you want our listeners to walk away from? We've been all over the place. We've talked about a lot of different things, but what are the three biggest things you want our listeners to walk away with? My, my biggest thing for everybody um, is to be intentional with defining um, with, with your definitions. And what I mean by that is um, I want everyone to be able to find who they are and what they stand for. Um, and then once you've done that, um, ask yourself the same questions for the organizations that you, that the organization that you work for. Ideally, who you are and what you stand for should be in line with the place that you work. If it is not, um, it doesn't mean, you know, go into your boss's office and quit immediately, but be aware of it and then start asking yourself, what is it that I can do in my circle of influence that I'm going to be able to, um, to be able to make an impact? Because we do, you know, it, we, we have to be doing something that we love. No one does great work if they don't love it. And that starts from being able to define what those things are that, that actually matter to you. So if you can define who you are, what you stand for, it matches in line with the place that you work, then great. You're in a, you're in a fantastic situation. If not, there's more work to be done. Um, but, you know, we spend all of this time when we're children. Um, we get asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And what is the wrong question? What is a task-based question? What do you want to be? Is a, is a ta- you're going to have a task-based answer. We really, I want people to start looking at this through the lens of who do I want to be? and um and have it be more based off of the characteristics and the values and the impact that you want to be able to to have on on you know society as a whole and make it more geared towards that if you're able to define if once you're able to fir- firmly define that and you're able to define the values that you want to kind of navigate you through the world you'll see that everything starts kind of coming together cleaner and starts making more sense. And you might be in a situation right now where you're working someplace and you're like, God, I am really unhappy and I don't know why. Um, I promise you, if you really put in the time to intentionally work on these things, you're, you'll get it. It's, 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 it's somewhere tied into, to uh, a, a disconnect with culture and, and, and probably the values, what it is that you value isn't necessarily in line with what it is that your organization values. Again, not about being right or wrong. Um, what's a bad fit for you? You used the word fit earlier, which I really like. I hate when people use like, you know, good culture, bad culture. No, it's, it's, it's based on the individual. What might work great for me might be awful for you and vice versa. So um, to me, it's not even three things. It's that like in, in this type of, in, in, when we're talking about culture, the fit is such a big deal, but you have to spend the time defining what it is you're actually looking for. Otherwise, um, and this is a conversation I wish someone had had with me when I was younger. So I'm really passionate about it at this point. I spent a lot of time working for places that I had no business working for. Um, and yeah, if, if you truly find what it is that you're passionate about and and what it is that drives you be intentional with that and then go work for those places that value those things it's 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 real simple um we should all when we go to work every day we should feel like you know we're home this is where we're supposed to be and this is what i'm supposed to be doing I love that. Who you want to be when you grow up, not what you want to be, but who do you want to be? And 
I've said this at other agencies that I've worked for when, you know, maybe things have gotten bumpy or whatever. And, you know, everyone says, well, this is just a job. Like we just come here, we get our paychecks. This is just work. I'm like, dude, I spend 40 hours plus here a week with you people. And if I, if we're not getting along, I want to know why, because yes, we, I spend more time with you than I do with my own family. So yes, it is super important that we get along and that we jive and you know, we don't have to go out for happy hour every Friday night together, but I want it to be that I look forward to seeing you when I come to work in the morning, that I wake up and I'm excited to go do my job during my internship at Arlington Heights. Um, what Steve Schulten, our executive director, when I was there, said to us as a group of interns that I will never forget is that he said he could count on one hand the number of mornings he woke up and didn't want to come to work in the morning because he had found the field that was right for him. So that is what you should feel when you wake up every morning. Yes, there's going to be days where we know we have a board meeting that we're not really necessarily looking forward to, or we have to have a budget meeting or something like that. There's going to be days that we dread having to face something, but it shouldn't be that we wake up and we're miserable each morning knowing that we have to go do the same song and dance that we've been doing for the last 10, 20, 30 years. I wish this was visual because my t-shirt I have on right now says <laughs> no alarm clock, no alarm clock needed. My passion wakes me up. Um, yes. that's, that's my challenge um, to people all the time. If when you get to the point where you're waking up without an alarm clock because you're so excited to take on a day and people are like, you're crazy, that's impossible. But no, it's not because I lived it. Like I've truly, I've, I've um, it, it's, it's a real thing and it's out there and you, and, and you can find it. Do not, do not settle um and if everything that we're talking about here today and you're like this isn't me at all then this, you're probably in the wrong field and that's fine go go find your go find your passion go chase uh you know go chase the thing that you should be doing but don't be afraid of uh of of trying to do better and 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 finding the thing out there that speaks to you on an emotional level we should we should all we should all be striving and it's not about perfection you know it's 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 a journey but um we we should we we shouldn't we should not feel like we have to settle i use this line all the time no child ever said i want to be mediocre when i grow up and it's 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 so many times when i see people in these situations where they're just kind of like being apathetic towards whatever's going on around them it breaks my heart um, it, it really, it really, really does. Cause I've been there and I've done it and I've, I've gotten through days and, um, we, we should all, we should, we should all be trying to reach something a little bit, a little bit bigger than that. I, amen. Yes. Like, then it just makes me think about like, you know, jobs that people are constantly calling in sick to. Um, likely they don't like working there. Like when I think back at some employees that I've had that constantly called in sick, likely they did not like working there. Um, and they didn't last very long, but you can kind of tell when someone, you know, exhausts all their sick days or vacation days every year, like not to pat myself on the back or anything, but you know, I've been at Mundelein for a year now and I've yet to use a single sick day. Um, I mean, okay, thanks COVID. Like I've been working from home most of this time. So what am I going to use the sick day for anyway, even if I didn't feel good, but I have only used one week of vacation. Um, and I've only used my two personal days because if you don't use it, you lose it. 
But otherwise, like I love coming here. I love doing my job. I don't find a need to take a vacation. Like I still have a week that I can use next year on top of the two that they already give me because I love my job. I love interacting with my coworkers. I love interacting with my seniors. I don't feel like I need to take a vacation away from everything other than just to spend that good quality time with my family. So, and I feel like we should all have that. That is what we should all be striving for. And I, and I, it's, it's, it's out there, you know, and I, it, it, you can find it, but I do think it starts with that intentional definition and, and truly understand what it is that motivates you and what it is that you're looking for. Um, you know, you can't, if, if you don't know what it is that you're looking for, you're not going to know it when you find it. So um, take the time and it's, it is important. It's, you know, you get the kickback all the time. It's like, well, I, I don't have the time to do that. Trust me, um, cut out, you know, maybe don't finish the entire series of the crown in three days. Maybe, oh, do, it, maybe no. do it in four days. Maybe do it in four no. days. And then with that extra time, you can, you can spend some time trying to figure out uh, who you are and what you stand for um, and to find those things out. And I, I, I promise you, you'll, you'll start being able to, everything will start kind of fall, fall, falling into uh, place a little bit better. I definitely agree. And as usual, this was so much fun talking to you. I, you know, I feel like I leave every interview just like on cloud nine, totally inspired, ready to go kick some butt. But as always, you know, I, you know, finishing up a conversation with you, I feel like I've got some purpose, some direction. I'm going to go make things happen and I'm going to go make some changes in the field of parks and recreation. So thank you so much, Jason. Thank, thank you for having me. This is uh, this is a lot of fun. Good. All right. And we will definitely talk to you again. Awesome. I look forward All to right. it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And thank you, Jason, for just doing an amazing job for bringing this issue of workplace culture to the forefront. We're seeing so many more agencies realize the importance of being commitment-based so that their staff can feel empowered to be creative, problem-solve, and lead the way to an organization that they want to be in and that they want to lead. So if you'd like to learn more, you can connect with Jason on LinkedIn, and we encourage you to continue to learn more about you know, career development and leadership. And you can find out more about that on our weekly newsletter where we share advice and inspiration related to career development, digital transformation, and stories we're sharing from colleagues like you. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, let's talk parks.